Welcome to Lithium Ion Rocks. It is December 16th. Um, I think this might be our last uh, podcast for the year, and uh, we're very happy, privileged to have uh, one of the uh, longest um, seers and participants in the market, uh, Chris Reed of Neo Metals. We want to talk a bit about uh, the business and its evolution, but uh, given you've been in this business uh, uh, at least 10 years, a very significant dynamic in the space has been Western Australia, the spodumene market, and you've obviously been a very active participant in that and have had a big success. You invested about $3 million into Mount Marion and you have monetized about $200 million, which uh, w- would put you in the top you know, five, I think, of uh, value creators. I was thinking of making a list here of uh, the last short while who is the most successful and and no one realizes this but uh it's the ceo of nutrien right who is the best deal maker selling that uh, parcel to uh in sqm to uh to tang <laughs> for 65 dollars was uh the best deal i think chris ellison is probably in, in the top three with the sale of um wajna to albemarle I think uh, Kidman uh, and Mount Holland, uh, the sale there. Could you just speak, because it's, it's highly relevant um, with Albemarle coming into Wajina. They are now uh, a very significant partner of Mineral Resources. But Mineral Resources' most important partner today, and we'll see how it plays out in the future, you know, is Ganfeng and, and, and was you. So what was the genesis of... Um, uh, I guess Ganfeng and Mineral Resources involvement into Neo Metals. If you could just walk us back from, uh, I guess, 2015 to, to now, the evolution and your monetization and, and, and your, your perspective on what happened this year and, and going into next year, in particular vis a vis the Western Australia, you know, China Australia um, market. It's my pleasure to be talking with you and Rodney. This year it hasn't been great for anyone. Pleased to be in the company uh, of the Nutrien uh, and Mr. Ellison's deals, Mount Marion. So the Genesis, we acquired uh, the deposit in 2009 and did a joint venture with Mineral Resources. They were going to get 30% equity in the project for providing a build-own operate solution, funding everything from the mining through to the export of the concentrate, and they get 30% of the equity. We started developing in 2010. Then the big Brian and the Chinese guys had a had a price war that lasted a few years. Started to unwind. I think the bottom was about 13. Improved in 14. We were getting out there. We had uh, dealt with uh, Mr. Lee and uh, and Mr. Wang at uh, Ganfeng. We'd known them for quite a while, and we'd explored doing deals before, and we were able to. Um, get them to um, invest into Mount Marion and take a, a life of mine off-take, which was pretty much a prerequisite for us and Mineral Resources to actually start the project. But what, what, year, um, what, what year was that? And, and wasn't that... That was 2015. And was that and in... Res- so, you know, I'm sorry, was that in response to... I know Tangshi and Albemarle were... Uh, you know, selling the Ganfang, but then they stopped selling. They just started using it, you know, internally. So w- was that a, a catalyst for, for Ganfang's involvement with you initially? I think that would be a reasonable assumption, Howard. And, uh, and so we had uh, obviously had all our approvals, and so we started construction on site 
in uh, in late 2015, and then bought the production, uh, the started construction, and progressively made the plant bigger. From an initially, we looked at 120 odd thousand tons of production by the time Mount Marion Commission. I think the highest we had it running was over 450,000 tonnes of concentrate on an annualised basis. That's of combined 6 and 4%. Um, and uh, so, yeah, look, you know, we're, we're pleased that, um, you know, we've, we were able to uh, work with, with good partners and bring that into production. And, uh, you know, as it stands now, it's the world's second largest hard rock production source. And, um, you know, likely to keep that, that title for a while. I think it'll, it'll always be a very significant uh, contributor to the lithium supply market. And I wish both, you know, Minres and, and Ganfeng all the best with it. I have the highest respect for Mr. Lee and Mr. Wang. So do I. I mean, uh, within this universe, like Chris Ellison, I mean, those two guys uh, at, at, at Ganfeng, I mean, they're the founders, they're founder owners, right? And they're writing checks into their rights offer, if that ever gets done. But, um, you know, I sleep well at night uh, w w with companies who are, you know, kind of owner, operator, skin in the game, you know, founders. They, they care. So th th that's great. Any, do you think... Um, Albemarle or West Farmers uh, paid um, reasonable valuation. So there was no change to the economic value that Albemarle uh, gave to Mineral Resources, even though they rejiggered the um, uh, the consideration in August. And, and likewise, West Farmers, you know, the writing was on the wall that the market was not so great in, around May June when they, uh, you know, came into Kidman. So. Have they made a mistake? Have they paid too much? Um, or or, or uh, in time, you think this will uh, all be uh, seen as uh, smart investments? Yeah, look, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the market generally is pretty myopic. And you've got multi-billion dollar diversified companies here that have bought hard rock feedstocks still in the ground. Uh, one, obviously, more advanced with pro processing infrastructure and, you know, a shorter timeline or response time to the underlying market. I think you've got to have a look at, you know, where where do you think their target markets? And so, you know, they're wanting to be integrated producers and, you know, we want to in time out of our Mount Marion offtake that we, we kept um, and... We want to do it and align so that we deliver into a – we respond as the market needs. The market perhaps doesn't need it right now, but it is every day. The demand is, is getting larger and larger. So I think, you know, if you're going to be integrated production, you're going to make high-purity um, battery chemicals and you're going to supply them ex-China, um, the ex-China market has – the international prices have, have come down nowhere near as – as quickly as the Chinese domestic prices have and um, not as fast as the spodumene, which is obviously responding to the falling Chinese prices. Um, and so I think, you know, they've taken a view um, and, you know, in their long-life assets, they've got flexibility on when they turn them up and they would have a pretty low cost of capital. So the... The holding costs for these guys 
for a couple of years, it'd be no different if you had an ATF buying the underlying chemical at the moment and storing it. Um, your holding costs are pretty low. They've just got an ATF, but it's sitting in the ground. Um, they know what it'll make. They know where the margins. They understand that, that chain. And they have very good, well, you know, certainly the Albemarle guys have got probably the best visibility out of them and West Farmers. You know what the value of the rock is. You know what the value of the concentrate. You know the value of the chemicals where it sits in the supply chain. And they've got the flexibility on timing when to bring that into the market. So I think it's like the old adage, you know, only time will tell. They're good moves. You don't want to be trying to buy them at the, uh, at the very top of the market. These guys can extract value in the long term. Uh, you raise a, an interesting point there, Chris, about integrated producers. What are your thoughts about the Spodgerman only you know, companies, their future, in terms of what potentially will be rollover contract terms if there's still a well-supplied Spodgerman market? Well, I think, you know, when the brine producers held the whip hand, you know, you had the guys at SQM setting the price for technical grade carbonate and the Chinese converters having to compete with that and then telling the Australian producers what the spodumene price needed to be to, to sell for the next year. That was an annual negotiation that used to happen in, I think, September, October. And I think, you know, we're probably getting to, to more frequent Price resetting, certainly Mount Marion's on a quarterly basis. I'm not sure what everyone else's are. I think it's no different, you know, in times of, of weak terminal prices for the for the lithium chemicals and oversupply of the spodumane, um, which, you know, clearly the Chinese buyers have got the purchasing power if you're not integrated. It's a bit like the iron ore price. You know, you've got BHP, Rio and Vale, you know, and they're some of the world's biggest mining companies. But I think if you said, you know, who has the pricing power, I, I, I still tend to think the Chinese do. Both mineral resources and, uh, and neo-metals retain an annual option to buy a certain volume uh, or percentage, we we ended up fixing our percentage to a volume. Um, so we've a, we've got an annual option to purchase up to fifty seven thousand tons of SC six concentrate for the life of mine. So you know we obviously we're not exercising it for February twenty twenty, um, and we're you know probably not likely to for any significant amount going on for that, you know, there is uh, a requirement for us to own not less than 25% of a downstream processing facility. So that, that gives us a good base load feed to, uh, to then look at um, developing a lithium hydroxide. Uh, we're currently in a uh, MOU with um, Manakar and Power, who are India's third largest power trader. They've got a big renewables business, so we're looking at developing India's first lithium refinery. Some great infrastructure there. You've got one-fifth of the world's population with no domestic lithium production. They've got 700-odd million mobile phone users. They use a fair few laptops. They've got a fair few cars. 
and they're moving to, uh, you know, electric scooters, electric bikes, electric tuk-tuks, electric cars. And so, you know, that for us that will, that will grow into a valuable project in time. We'll, we'll just align that with, uh, with the underlying market. What happens in a couple of years' time when Albemarle, uh, you know, and, and Mineral Resources are, are producing Wajina? I mean, there, there could be some – is there any kind of competitive uh, tension between Wajina and Mount Mary in, in, in time and, and Ganfeng versus Albemarle in time? I, I wonder. I haven't gamed this out in my mind, but uh, there seems to be some evolution there, some things to, 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 to watch, uh, the relative – relationships yeah you could do virtual swaps of cargoes mount marion is closer to green bushes and wajin is close to china that'd be a possibility one would have thought if they're both an sc6 concentrate mount marion feed could go somehow to kemerton it's a hypothetical that would add an alternate source for the downstreaming joint venture if, if, if in fact it was ever needed I'm sure all the partners could work out swaps. And Albemarle was talking about, you know, doing 100,000 tons at Kemerton and Quinana with Tangshi is meant to be 48,000. And the, the West Farmers SQM was starting at 45, but people are talking about them, you know, doubling there. With what we've learned in the past year or, or, or so in terms of cost in, in Western Australia, uh, the CapEx is higher if you look at Tangshi Quinana, and also the OpEx um, l- looks to be higher from the time Albemarle was suggesting they might uh, build downstream in, uh, in the Pilbara, and they're sure. now focused and, on and, capital and, intensity, et cetera. So to just like where will hard rock well, be converted upset. long term? Well, you know, what, what, what do you need to convert hard rock lithium? One you want to limit the distance that you truck it. Two, you need natural gas to calcite that. So Australia's got, you know, one of the largest, uh, I think we're second, if not the largest natural gas producer in the world. We're the largest hard rock spodumene producer. I think there's a few things we could do to optimise and reduce some of our reagent costs. I think, um, you know, does... West Australian higher cost than China spodumene getting exported to the rest of the world ex-China and therefore having permanently higher spod, you know, lithium chemical prices for the rest of the world vis-a-vis China. Does that upset China? No, I would have thought it plays into their hands. You've got to put the lithium contextually in in the supply chain. So when you're looking at the value of the lithium in the battery and then the value of the battery in the car, it doesn't matter whether the lithium's free or whether it's 25,000 bucks a tonne. The car doesn't run without the lithium in the battery. The cars that made in the West by the luxury car makers can tolerate a higher price. It makes no difference to them, but they can't sell an electric car without the lithium. The market has to be incentivized to, to convert spodumene or develop lithium clay deposits, sedimentary deposits, clay sedimentary deposits and, and less high-quality brine deposits. I mean, you know, we had a boom. We've had a boom. The oligopolis had perfect vision, yet they contributed 
basically nothing in in higher production. And you had SQM beat their chest, and they're going to go up to two fifteen. They actually went down because their you know their current plant failed to reach expectation. We need a higher price than the Chinese to attract higher cost conversion, higher capex, higher opex than China. That that's just simple economics. Why would Tangxi build in Quinana, right, when it costs like $50 million or $60 million to build a conversion plant, you know, in China? Like, why would a Chinese need to be ex-China? Well, you'd be using using the units to supply contracts ex-China. So, you know, it's rightly or wrongly, conceptually, it still looks like a four or five person oligopoly. Mm-hmm. Now, the brine producer, the Chinese hard rock converters are in brines. The brine producers are in hard rocks. They're all got fingers in each other's supply chains. Mm-hmm. There's no reason Tangxi can't build more in China and still export it to Northvolt, right? Which is where they are. Exporting. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe some of its customers would prefer conversion outside. What does the market need? The market needs high-quality, battery-grade hydroxide and carbonate from rocks outside of China. I've been saying that for years. So where's, where's the growth in lithium production been in the last five years? Almost all exclusively China. Why is the U.S. Army sponsoring rare-earth production outside of China? So I don't think it's right to be dependent on one country for the majority of the growth. You know, if you were a car maker... Would you like to be relying on one country getting a constant stream of one chemical? doesn't matter what it is. Wouldn't you want choice in the market? We'd agree with that, uh, Chris. I guess the debate is the OEMs seem to be, and this has been my experience when dealing with other low-margin industries, is that regardless of, of uh, you know the small percentage of the battery cost that's lithium, they seem to want the lowest price of everything going into the yeah. battery. So, so, so what's changing? It's the, the, the changing is the customer. So the customers used to be the consumer electronics guys that were driving the battery. If you're making a, a, a phone, the lithium in the battery is ridiculous. It's, it's a, you it's wouldn't matter what the price, cost. it's not yeah, existent. Yeah. Wouldn't yeah, make any difference. Right, whether you got a laptop or a phone or a tablet or whatever, when it's consumer electronics, the lithium price is irrelevant. All of a sudden, the volume growth is car makers, and car makers are going to, you know, you know what it's like to deal with. They love beating their suppliers up. God bless them. <laughs> you know, I'm happy to be. I'm so, happy so, to be. I'm happy to be a supplier, but they they are firm. Negotiators. We would agree. So, in order to have the uh, the comfort of diversity of supply, you need to have incentive pricing to make that diversity of supply economic. Correct. How do we get to that point? Because I've made that argument that for like a dollar seventy per kilowatt hour, you could have a, a much broader spectrum of suppliers globally. But they don't seem to want to pay that amount where, in my opinion, energy density, pack design, all of those things can save you far more money than 
trying to haggle down the lithium supplies. Yeah, so they're not in the lithium supplies now. They're not into them yet, but it's coming. Um, on, on this point, I mean, I looked at the uh, BMW agreement with Ganfeng. Ganfeng put out a press yeah. release and they said they specified specific varieties and specific quantities, but it's going to be market pricing. Then BMW yeah. separately said, you know, it's a 500 or $600 million contract and it's 100% of our 50, hydroxide yeah. need, right? Yeah, for 50,000 tons. For 50,000 50, tons? So they had 500 million euros, so let's call it 550 million. So, yeah, it's about $11,000 a ton, roughly. Okay, but, but, but Ganfeng's press release said it's market pricing. So, and, then Al, sure. and then Albemarle had this uh, investor day where they're basically saying OEMs are increasingly, auto OEMs increasingly our, are the customer rather than the yep, cathode. that's true. And that th those customers want more volatility. They're, they're happy to have their battery pass along any raw material volatility yeah, in, how in the price. They'll all be toll processing for the car makers. But, so yes, at the but, moment, there's no cell maker will give the car maker a fixed price. They, they know what their costs are to make batteries, but they don't know what the costs are the fixed of the cathode materials and the anode materials because they're not fixed. They're variable. But, but the OEMs, so everyone, want, the, the OEMs want, vari they want variability because the spot is trading way below contract price. Well, as soon as there's a spike in spot prices that's higher, that, that takes it higher than contract prices, you'll be sure they'll want fixed contract prices suddenly. That's exactly my point, Rodney. The, the, the fact that Albemarle is, is saying, because this is, I wrote this in my note uh, yesterday, that uh, Albemarle has admitted that they are pivoting, right, away from long-term contracts because their battery or their auto customers, which are increasing their other customers, want more variability. And that, that tells me that, the auto companies today believe that the price really? is going down. <laughs> right? I, I've, I've, I've found, in my experience dealing with them, they essentially want, when it says market link, so there'll be a basket of pricing points, a basket of currencies, then there'll be some factors that take out the volatility, right? And, and then they'll want, because of the volume, they'll then want a discount. So... I, I, I'm not sure that any car maker ever wants too much volatility in their factors of production. That would be counterintuitive in my experience. It, it, it is. It doesn't make sense. It, it, in the short term, it makes sense only if they believe. Um, ba basically how they want the lowest price all the time. Yes. So if oh, yeah. contract <laughs> prices are lower, if contract yeah. prices are lower, they want those. If, sp if spots lower, they want those. That's yeah. essentially what Chris is saying. With, right, with, Chris says, with, in, with, in all order, due, order, with all due respect to them, because they are the biggest volume <laughs> driving the market. So we're going to have yes. to have bigger volume at smaller, mar at smaller margins because our customer's changing. Yes, and, and, and they essentially, in order for, my understanding is that what they're negotiating now is they're saying, we're going to give you this massive volume like VW, but they've got sort of a price line tracking down to $100 per kilowatt hour battery pack. <laughs> 
and and you're basically you, you've got to make your margin through volume and otherwise it's tough luck so they're making guys commit to that but in order to be sure that you are below $100 per kilowatt hour, you are making price assumptions on raw materials under a variability contract. Uh, and, and that's why I say that, that it can't, it's counterintuitive. You would rather have fixed price contracts and still end up under $100 per kilowatt hour. That's sound logic. Um, last point on this before we uh, switch and let's talk about neo-metals is uh, BMW basically has committed 100% of its hydroxide purchases from one customer, uh, one supplier, and that supplier being in China. So uh, what do you think about that vis-a-vis -vis what we were talking about five minutes ago, the importance of having non-China supply? I don't know. Have you ever, you ever tried to go and get 50,000 ton lithium hydroxide contract? In 2016, I think the market was only 35 or 40,000 tons, right? So I mean, this was this was through I'm 2020. Sure, this was I'm through sure. 2024, right? 50,000. Yeah, well, well it's 2022, so, so, 2024. So it's it's over it's those years. Five, five years, yeah. 10,000 a year, basically. Yeah. Well, Ganfeng have the privilege of you know having multiple feedstock sources and. I'm sure they'll have a, a brine source, you know, up and running by then, and they may even have a clay source up and running by then. They've got multiple conversion plants and multiple feedstock sources, you know. They've got Mount Marion. Uh, they've got offtakes from Pilbara. They've got offtakes from Altura. I'm sure they could go in the spot market and soak a bit up. Now, when it's BMW, do you know that, you know, I mean, BMW has car manufacturing capabilities in China, uh, 50,000 tonnes. Let me just let me just get my head around this. Uh, I remember the Gigafactory was enough for 500,000 Model S's and that was going to use 35,000 tonnes of hydroxide. So 50 would do... Uh, 50,000 tonnes to 750,000 cars, somewhere around that, depending on, obviously, the battery size. I would say BMW is probably producing that amount of hybrids, you know, or all-electrics in China at some stage there. So I'm not... I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how much of that's going to Germany and how much of that's staying in China, just because it's BMW. They, yeah, no, that 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 that, that makes the sense. German car makers, yeah. The German car makers make seven million of the twenty million cars in China right. per annum. If more people do the exercise that VW and BMW's done, and start doing direct contracts themselves, they'll all get. Take they'll all end up doing that. Well, it, it, the thing is, they can't. This is kind of where I'm getting to. Because if everyone does the maths, I can't see ah. the guarantee <laughs> of supply pretty soon. From your lips to God's ears. <laughs> Let's talk about Neo Metals. Have a proven track record of delivering shareholder value. Um, you, you turn three million investment in Mount Marion to two hundred million dollars, um, and you've paid a lot of that back in. in Dividends, special dividends, and also share buybacks. Y your stock is trading at its cash value. 
uh, so I think at the last quarterly we had about 107 million in cash and about 10 million in listed investments. I guess how, how much cash did you spend this year? 12 to 15 million. The advanced projects we've got, obviously, we've got uh, a lithium hydroxide joint venture with Manakar and Power, MOU with a research institute owned by the Chinese government for the titanium vanadium project. Barambi, we've just been doing a pilot plant for that. The lithium hydroxides in what you would call the, uh, the sort of BFS stage. Barambi will then move into a BFS stage and we've been running a pilot for almost the entire year on the lithium battery recycling, which has been probably the majority uh, of the focus for near metals. Uh, so we ran that up in Lakefield, Canada, and, you know, we've announced that we've been getting, you know, uh, better than 98% recoveries of nickel and cobalt into sulfates um, that are 99.9% pure. So that's going very well. That's almost complete. Um, in September, we announced a deal with SMS, who are uh, a big German uh, group. They are the largest builder of metallurgical processing plants in the world. Uh, 140 years old, 14,500 employees in 95 sites around the world. And so what we're doing there is once the pilot's plant's finished and we give them all the results for their due diligence, they've been doing due diligence for about six months prior to that, um, we will then elect to form a German incorporated joint venture. Um, SMS will build the plants and operate them, uh, procure debt financing, and essentially Neo Metals um, will continue with our feedstock arrangements and offtake at the back end. So if you think of us as the sort of the marketing, uh, the commercial guys and these and, and the Germans uh, as really the delivery mechanism. So we'll locate um, the front part of our battery recycling, which is already a commercial scale. It can do just under 20,000 tonnes per annum. It would be one of the world's largest shredders uh, outside of China. Um, and then we'll put a demonstration plant uh, actually at SMS's operations in Vienna to prove out our hub and spoke. Um, you know, the the first deployment uh, of that commercially will be uh, in Germany. So we run a demonstration plant in 2020 in parallel with the engineering studies and look to make an investment decision this time next year. I'm looking at your presentation um, and kind of going into 2020 uh, with this being, I guess, one of the flagships, uh, if not the, 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 the main one for the year. This yeah. uh, uh, this is a seventy two percent IRR project with a capital cost of sixty six million US dollars, with a two year payback. You know, for a a recycling plant that uh, would be fifty tons per day, basically eighteen thousand tons per year, and your feed is going to be you know spent batteries, right? Pretty much correct. Um, and you're going to pull out the cobalt, the nickel, the copper, and the lithium, right? And, and yep. then uh, you're saying the OPEX of this is going to be about $7 a, a pound, contained cobalt, excluding co-products, et cetera. So I, I guess... Yeah. Um, it's were, extremely robust. 
seventy-two percent IRR, two-year payback, sixty-six million dollars. You know that that's that's very good. That's for twenty eighteen thousand tons. But you said this is a yeah, this is a commercial plant. But you're going over time. You're going to need like ten of these, right? You know, in well, in you're going to need to make it. Yeah. So the the the, the twenty thousand tons sizing came across. You know, so the optimal size for these new sort of battery plants. Uh, if we look at the most successful battery plant, integrated plant, it, it has been the Gigafactory. So that's sort of 35 gigawatt hours in size. Um, and so the off-spec production is typically sort of, it, it gets down to about 10% higher in the early stages. But, you know, as an average, we use a 10% failure rate. So that's off-spec cathode um, failed jelly rolls, which are, you know, the insides of the batteries before they get put in the can, uh, the failed cells and the failed packs. So the 20,000 tonnes uh, or 18,000 tonnes is size for the off-spec production. Then you've got a plan at the end of the useful lives to get the other 90% of the batteries back. So you have to scale that up. So it's important for us to get embedded into a customer that's going to grow or a, su- a feed supply that's going to grow. Um, and so that's what we're, you know, that's how we've targeted, um, rather than going and trying to build a 200,000 ton one, which would be the largest in the world. We just think it's more prudent to get the partner, get the model right and scale it up, um, from that point. Okay. And and your partner in this instance, as you were saying, so like the $66 million capital cost, you expect through a 50-50 joint venture uh, with SMS, a, a large German group with 13,000 employees, you know, it was built over 2,000 plans, right? So they're very credible, you know, you could, a lot bigger than mineral resources, <laughs> your, your, your prior partner, or it sounds maybe like a, a Langsess-like uh, German company, you know, vis-a-vis, you know, Standard Lithium, but, but 66 million, 50-50, so half of that is, them that's 33 million and they should bring i guess uh, low cost debt funding you know into the project right if you did this on a 50 50 basis um yeah th- th- that would be you know basically you know only 33 million and then you're half of that so it's like 15 or 20 million dollars u.s yeah, dollars but- uh, from a neo metals and you have over 100 million so you could fund this yourself right uh correct getting this into you know final investment decision in about 12 months time. So there's a lot of interest and excitement in recycling. You've been at this for a long time, piling this for a, a long time. You have great relationships with, um, obviously with SM, you're, you're in Germany and Vienna. I mean, this is where, um, you know, Umicore has recycling. I mean, Europe would seem the logical place to, to become a center, you know, for, for recycling yeah, batteries. Correct. Outside of China, it'll it'll grow into be the the largest battery producing area outside of China. When will you realize Vienna waits for you? Very interesting. Um, well, there's a lot of interest in recycling. I've kind of been ignoring recycling for two or three years, just knowing that. Uh, you got to get a lot of the batteries kind of out in the market um, before there's a large supply of them that need to be recycled and they have seven to 10 year lives. But you're basically saying that uh, your, your starter point here are batteries that actually don't make it into cars yet, right? They're, 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 they're the failed ones. Um, Correct. And, and, it, and, and also, you know, as, as we were saying, you know, the, the customers changing to the car makers, 
you know, the car makers are worried about not only lithium, they're worried about cobalt and nickel and, uh, you know, manganese and, and, and other materials. And the legislation is requiring that these don't go to landfill, right, and that you should have sustainable supply chains. So recycling ticks the box and the legislation's forcing these guys. So if you're in California and you sell a lithium-bearing product, be it a phone or a car, you have to take it back at end of life. You have to recycle or fund the recycling. So the legislation is is helping create supply for us. It's end of life, you know, and it makes economic sense to do so and it makes environmental sense and from a sustainability of your supply chain, it, it, it makes sense. And also from a greenhouse gas uh, a life cycle analysis, you know, you, you look at, recycling recovered nickel cobalt as opposed to freshly mined stuff that's, you know, rocks that have gone from Australia to China, cobalt that's come from the DRC to China, manganese that comes from South Africa to China. You know, there's all these exotic metals that get moved all around the world. Uh, they've, got a, they've got a big carbon footprint. In lithium-ion rocks, lithium-ion bull, and through our respective LinkedIn and Twitter posts, Rodney and I may share with our audience some rationale for a stock for which we have conviction, to own or not to own. If you agree or disagree with and act on or against the rationale of anything said or written in this or any other lithium-ion rocks or lithium-ion bull, that's your free choice. But to be clear, what you are listening to or reading is not investment advice and may not be unbiased. It should not be construed as an investment recommendation to buy or sell any security. Rodney and I are not registered investment advisors nor broker-dealers. Please visit libull.com for further disclaimers. <laughs>